morning. morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for who you are, and we praise your holy name. We thank you for having called us into your church. We thank you for having given us your spirit. And most importantly, we thank you for Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. We thank you for the life that you have given us and for your word that you have given us to live it by. We ask that you teach us today, that you open our minds and our hearts, and that you help us to respond to it proactively through faith and obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1930s, Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany. He did so by calling to what is called fascism. And fascism is a political philosophy that argues a single race or nation is better than all of the others while promoting a single leader to then dominate the world. Undergirding this philosophy is the belief that human authority is the supreme authority because God does not exist. What happened with the Nazis was absolutely horrendous, yet it was not unique to them. 600 years before the incarnation of Christ, the kingdom of Babylon came to power with Nebuchadnezzar as their king. And when that happened, they conquered the kingdom of Assyria and they took all the Jews into captivity. And when they did, they sifted through the people to draw out the cream of the crop. They were looking for those who were young and intelligent, those from prominent tribes and with skills and talents and abilities so that they could take them and transfer them into this three-year training that included the language, which was Aramaic, and the ways of Babylon so that they could serve in that kingdom. Among those chosen out of the Jews was the prophet Daniel and his three friends. And while the prophet Daniel and his friends were in this program of indoctrination and training, King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. And in this vision, he saw a statue with a head of gold and a body made of silver, brass, and iron mixed with clay that a rock came and smashed. And it drove him mad, and he needed to know what it meant. So he called everybody in the kingdom of Babylon that was said to have some type of wisdom, and he called to the diviners, he called to the magicians, and anybody else who might give him an answer, and he demanded an interpretation of this vision. And when nobody was able to give him an interpretation of this vision, he then got upset and decided he was going to kill everybody. But then God gave the interpretation to Daniel. And Daniel was able to come to the king, stop him from killing everybody, give him the interpretation while pointing to God as the one with all wisdom and all power. And in that interpretation, he explained to him that the head of gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar and the body made of silver, brass, and iron mixed with clay represented kingdoms that would come after him. And as we know, the rock is Christ, who smashes the world's kingdoms as God's kingdom rules forever. 
Today we're going to be reading Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is a story, and it's basically a story about two responses. First, we're going to see the response of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, responding to receiving the interpretation of his vision. Then we're going to see the response of Daniel's three friends as they are put in a compromising position because of it. Its relevance to us today is very simple and straightforward. So here it is. Just like Daniel and his three friends, we live in a pagan environment that wars against God and his people. And just like them, we need to know how to stay true to God in the face of fear. And what we are going to see today is that the key to staying true to God in the face of fear is the sovereign presence of God. As we read this story, we're going to see how it is divided into three main scenes. And each scene is highlighting an eternal or timeless truth that God wants to communicate to his people. And in scene one, we see how the sovereign presence of God empowers us to take a stand. The sovereign presence of God empowers us to take a stand. By now, you should have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter three. Join me as we read, starting in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth Six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, which are the governing authorities, the prefects, which are the chief officers, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. What we are seeing here is the setting. So we see how King Nebuchadnezzar received the interpretation of his vision. And instead of responding in humility and repentance, he responds out of pure pride and arrogance and goes and sets up this image. Now, if you remember in the interpretation of the vision, we saw that the head made of gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar and then the body made of silver, brass and Iron mixed with clay represented kingdoms that would come after him. So by setting up a 
statue made of solid gold, what he was communicating is that no kingdom will come after him because his kingdom will last forever. He is literally looking to replace God. And as he elevates human authority over divine authority, he then demands worship, which is characterized by conformity and submission when it comes to humanity. In the Bible, we're told in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The difference between conformity and transformation is huge. Conformity comes about by way of external pressures. If you think about plastics injection molding, for example, what they do is they take a bunch of plastic pellets and they put it in a machine. They heat it up to the point of it becoming liquid. Then they squeeze it into a mold. Then using a machine with pressure, they then force it into a shape. This is conformity. And this is what the world is trying to do to you and trying to do to me and trying to do to everybody else. But transformation is completely different. It takes place from the inside out. If you think about a caterpillar, for example, for, for example, it transforms into a butterfly from the inside out. And this is exactly what God wants to do to all of you as he changes your heart and molds you into the image of Christ. Yet this takes place through the renewal of our minds. As the Spirit of God applies the Word of God to the people of God, we are then transformed in the image of God. And so we, are, we have seen the scene. We know what's happening. Let us continue to read, starting in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if, 
you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So now we have brought scene number one to a close, and in it we are seeing a few main things. First and foremost, we see how all peoples, nations, and languages are led astray by human authority. At the root of humanity's fallen nature is a plea for authority. Every one of us are born sinful, dead in our sins and our trespasses, and original sin is characterized by what we call radical autonomy, wanting to be our own authority. We want to replace God's authority with human authority. And every single person in this world that is living in darkness outside of Jesus Christ will follow other forms of human authority because it's all they know. Second, we see how the pagan environment pressures us to compromise, and when we don't, there are consequences. Now, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the consequences for not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar was to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Yet all of us have different consequences, and just because they don't look like theirs, it doesn't make them any less real. Over the past five years in particular, I have seen how uh, Christian bakers, for example, will refuse to bake a cake for a homosexual couple that say that they're getting married. And when this happens, there are consequences. Many of them lose their business or they lose their job because the government will intervene and try to force them to compromise. They will be defamed in the media as everybody lashes out against them, saying that they're discriminatory. And people will go through many hardships for standing on the word of God. Another main example that we're seeing today are teachers, especially those in the public school system. Many of them are being told that they need to implement a curriculum that is pro-LGBTQ or that teaches critical race theory. And when they don't, not only do they lose their job, but now all the years and time and money that was spent going through an education to do that career is basically flushed down the drain. All of us have different consequences for taking a stand for God, yet what we're seeing here is that the sovereign presence of God empowers us to take a stand in three main ways. First, by knowing God's word, by teaching us his word. We see in here how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew who God is, knew what God has done, and know, knew what God has promised. And they also knew that only he is worthy of worship, so they were not willing to bow down. Second, God reveals to us his sovereignty 
By teaching us his word, we come to recognize the fact that God is the one who created everything. God is the one who sustains everything. And God is the one who is in total control because absolutely nothing in this world takes place outside of his sovereign decree. And lastly, we see that the sovereign presence of God empowers us to take a stand by making us willing to die like Christ. You know, many times we, we balk at the idea of comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ because we're like, okay, well, he's God in the flesh. <laughs> I'm not God in the flesh. But let us understand that Jesus has two natures in one person. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And in his humanity, he was in the garden sweating blood because he did not want to suffer and die for the sake of our sins. But just like him who went to the cross to pay for our sins and went through what he went through in order to deliver us from the dominion of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of light in him as he was raised from the dead to give us eternal life through our faith in him, we are empowered by God's sovereign presence to be willing to die when we need to take a stand for God. Yet God does not just empower us to take a stand and then leave us to figure it all out on our own. Instead, what we're going to see in this next scene is that the sovereign presence of God preserves us in our trials. The sovereign presence of God preserves us in our trials. Join me as we read, starting in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the God. Here we are being reminded that trials come to all of the faithful. And many times it will look different in different places and in different times with different people in different circumstances. Just last week, Pastor Phil, preaching out of 1 Peter, covered this verse. Where it says, Beloved, do not be surprised. At the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange 
were happening to you. Now for Peter here, he was writing from Rome right after Nero burned down the Circus Maximus and blamed the Christians, which started the persecution. And he was writing to all of the Christians that were spread abroad living as pilgrims to warn them because he knew that this persecution was going to stretch all the way through the Greco-Roman world. Yet we don't have to worry about the Roman Empire. Nonetheless, we do live in a pagan environment that wars against God and his people. And at some point in your life, you are going to be challenged by the world and you are going to come to a situation where you have to make a choice. Yet, take a look at the language that Peter uses in this verse because it's really relevant to us. He calls it a fiery trial, just like we see the burning fiery furnace. And he does this to say that these trials come upon us to test us. Now, when the world tries to force you to conform to its standards, it's testing you in the sense of trying to see if you're going to compromise. Yet God doesn't test us in this way. Instead, this reference to testing is more like a silversmith or a metalsmith testing the metals where you take a kettle and you put the precious metals into the kettle and you put it over a fire. And then you melt it down and you bring it to a boil. And as it boils, the impurities rise to the top. So the silversmith can then scrape off the dross. And then afterwards, he repeats this process over and over and over again until the metals are completely pure and he can look down into the kettle and see his own reflection. And in the same way, God, as you go through suffering and as you go through hardships and you go through trials, is purifying you, removing the sins from you, and molding you into the image of Christ. But I ask you today, if you were put in one of these situations where you were being forced to either live by their standards or live by God's standards... Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to jail if that's what it means? And even more importantly, are you willing to die? You know, another story much like this that we find in Genesis is the story of Joseph. And for those of you who remember the story of Joseph, he went through trial after trial, after trial, after hardship, after hardship, after hardship. But the narrative is really careful to let us know that every step of the way, as he was suffering and moving through all of this, God was sovereignly present with him. Just like we see God sovereignly present in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was sovereignly present with Joseph. And when we get to the end of his story, look at what it says. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is a rhetorical question. Of course he's in the place of God. Even through his suffering and even through yours, we are placed where we're placed by God in his sovereignty. As for you, you meant evil against me. The whole world means evil against you. But God meant it for good. God works all things 
for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, in Joseph's case, there was a famine coming, and God used him so that people would not die from the famine. But in our case, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and God allows us to go through what he goes through in order for us to be witnesses, because as we are going to see in the last scene, the sovereign presence of God reveals itself in perseverance. The sovereign presence of God reveals itself in perseverance. Please join me as we read, starting in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb in their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There are two main ways that we see how God reveals himself through our perseverance the first one is in verse 27 in the middle of uh, in the middle of the verse it says that the fire had not had any power over their bodies and that is because God has power over the fire as he is sovereign and in total control and so the power of God is revealed through perseverance second at the bottom of verse 28 it says that they would not serve and worship any god except their own god. So the divinity of God is also revealed. As God is the only one worthy of worship, Jesus Christ alone is worthy of worship. And this is revealed through our suffering for his sake. Because just as it says, blessed be the God, all things are to his glory. And it is not a coincidence that the word martyr, as many of you know, means somebody who dies for the sake of their faith. However, in the Greek language, the word martyr actually means to witness or testify. And notice how in verse 28 there it says that they yielded up their bodies as we are called to give our bodies as a living sacrifice in the Great Commission because God's plan is to redeem some from every people, 
nation, and language. And we know he's going to do it just by looking at Revelation. Another story that is very similar to this and highlights a lot of it, we can look to the book of Acts and consider the story of Stephen. In chapters 6 and 7, we see how Stephen was called as one of the initial deacons. And he was a man that was of godly character. And he was a man who knew the scriptures. And he was a man who stayed true to God in the face of fear as God empowered him to take a stand against the Jews. And the Jews who were naysayers against Christ were attacking him. And he goes on to tell them from the beginning how Jesus is the promised Messiah who has brought salvation through the covenant of Abraham and he is God in the flesh. And at the end of the story, look at what it says. Now when they heard these things, meaning the Jews, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, meaning Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, anywhere else that we see a reference to Jesus being at the right hand of God, it says that he's seated. Yet here, notice how he's standing. And what it's telling us is that as Stephen took a stand for Christ, Christ was standing with him. And all of us who have faith in Christ alone and are united to him, he is with us. We see him in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is with us Everywhere we go, in everything we go through, he is right there with us. And as long as we are staying true to God in the face of fear, he is standing with you. And notice at the end, though, the reference that he uses. He says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This reference is coming from the book of Daniel. And when we look at that passage... Look at what it says. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is king. He is king now, he is king forever, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. We know that human kingdoms fall, and they will continue to, because they are not eternal. But Jesus' kingdom is, and it continues to grow through the Great Commission. And now many of you in here may be saying to yourself, you know, I really don't participate in the Great Commission like some others do. Because maybe you're not an evangelist, or maybe you're not a missionary. 
Or maybe you don't even serve in the church in some formal capacity. Yet what we are seeing here in our text today, please know and be encouraged that you are just as much an ambassador of Jesus Christ when you stay true to God in the face of fear. Because as we come to situations where the world tries to force us to compromise and we take a stand for God in truth, in our union with Christ, the sovereign presence of God empowers us to take a stand. And it does that by teaching us his word, revealing to us his sovereignty, and helps us be willing to die for his sake. He preserves us through our trials. And he does this to reveal himself through our perseverance. So let us be encouraged. Let us understand that while we might be facing a situation right now in our personal life, where the world is trying to force us to compromise. We do not need to compromise. We need to stay true to God in the face of fear, and we do not have to look anywhere other than Jesus Christ alone. We look to Christ, and we ask him to guide us, and we look to his word, and we understand that he is there with us in our union with Christ because the sovereign presence of God empowers you to take a stand. He preserves you through that trial, and then he reveals himself through your perseverance. So may we all go on to live lives of conformity and submission to God alone and be ambassadors of Jesus Christ even through our times of suffering. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for who you are. We thank you so much for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have called us into an everlasting kingdom, one that will not perish. We thank you for your sovereign presence that empowers us and preserves us. We thank you for how you reveal yourself through us, and we ask that you help us to be faithful as you are faithful. We ask that you do this through your word and through your spirit, working through your word in all of our lives. And we ask that you help us to go out from here encouraged to live firmly in you. And we ask this in Christ's name.